The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. I don't know why I thought I could, but I can't do this. And you know, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Sheila, run in your own lane. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what that means. Run in your own lane. And it became clear to me as the Lord kind of unpacked that inside me, that when you compare yourself to the woman who's running beside you or the man who's running beside you, you're gonna get all messed up. Best-selling author and speaker, Sheila Walsh, next. Hi, welcome to Life Today. I'm Sheila Walsh. I'm so glad that you're joining us. I was asked recently by a young girl, how do I find out exactly what God wants me to do with my life? I know what my mom wants me to do, and I know what my dad wants me to do. But some days I wonder, you know, why was I put on this planet? What does God want me to do? I think it's one of the questions that every single one of us has to deal with, finding out the uniqueness about who you are. And sometimes when we get a little bit older and maybe you've fulfilled certain roles, perhaps you're with an empty nest now, or maybe you've retired and you think, well, I'm, am I done now? But I really believe as a Christian, if we still have a pulse, if there's not a white chalk mark around our body, that we still have a job to do. I look on it, my life as being on mission 24 seven, not just when I have the privilege of coming into your home and talking with you or when I'm out speaking somewhere, but to have the eyes of Christ every single day. Every morning I pray that, Lord, will you give me your eyes to see what I'm gonna miss without you? And would you give me your ears to hear behind what somebody is saying to what actually might be going on in their life? But I've been thinking a lot about identity. And I wondered, do you ever feel as if you are living someone else's dream for your life? You know, was there something perhaps as a, a young woman or as a young man that you thought, you know, I really would love to do this. And then life interrupted and circumstances changed and you suddenly find yourself quite a bit further down the road and you think, well, whatever happened to that dream? One of the things I really believe is it's never, never too late to be who God created you to be. It's one of the things I talk about in my book, it's okay not to be okay. What do you do when a dream is kind of deferred? Is it too late to find it again? I, I don't think so, I definitely don't think so. And so we had some of our partners in here at the studio and I had the opportunity to share some thoughts and one of them was on that very issue. What do you do when you feel as if you have been squeezed into a mold and it's what somebody else wants for you rather than what you want for yourself. Watch this. So sometimes you're in a situation that's challenging and other times you're in a situation where other people want to fit you into a mold that you just know you're not called to. Have you ever been in a place where people want you to be a certain way and to behave a certain way? And it's just, it's just not you. I saw that when I was growing up. Um, the little Baptist church that we were in in Scotland, we'd been in for generations. I think my 
great-great-grandfather made the communion table. And while I was a teenager, we had a pastor who came that I just adored. He was just, you know, you get the combination of somebody who teaches the word of God, but also shares their life and has such compassion. That's the kind of man he was. And I adored his wife, but she was not the typical Scottish Baptist church wife, pastor's wife, because in Scotland, if you're the pastor's wife, you're supposed to be able to, able to play the piano. I have no idea why, but you're supposed to be able to play the piano. And not only that, you're supposed to be able to lead all the women's meetings. Now, she was kind of a shy woman. And I watched sometimes as some of the older women in our church tried to force her into a mold that she was so uncomfortable in. And she actually became one of my dearest friends. And I would go around sometimes and say, listen, just don't listen to them. You get to be who you are. You get to stay who you are. You're not responsible for their expectations of you. You're answerable to God. But then I went on to seminary in London and then um, I came to America. And I heard that our pastor and his wife had moved on to a church in Glasgow in Scotland. And so when I flew home to see my mom, I thought I'm gonna go and see them first and see how they're doing. And I remember my friend opening the door and her face was just radiant. And I was like, wow, you look great. And so I went in and we sat down and had a cup of tea. And I said, tell me, what's your life like? And she said, it's amazing, Sheila. I have found what God put me on this earth to do. What she does now is with a small group of other women in the church with the same calling. She goes out on a Friday night and a Saturday night and ministers to all the prostitutes in Glasgow. They make homemade soup, they made sandwiches, and they go out on the streets and they simply share the love of Christ. And it's like she's alive because she's found what God has uniquely gifted her to do. So often people will have other expectations, but when you actually listen and say, God, what do you want me to do? There's a freedom in knowing that God has a place for you that nobody else can fill. You know, it's tempting to watch what somebody, I mean, I remember when I was invited to join Women of Faith, I'd never spoken before. And I thought, oh, I don't think I could do this. And, but I met some of the women, the other speakers, Barbara Johnson and Lucy Swindoll and Patsy Clareman. I thought, oh, they're amazing. I would love to do this until the first conference because I heard them speak. And I hadn't heard them speak. And I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard Patsy Claremont. She's like the energizer bunny for Jesus. It's unbelievable and funny. And Lucy is so wise and witty. And there was an, a break before I was supposed to speak. And I actually, I left um, the little side platform where we all sat and I locked myself in the restroom and I said, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know why I thought I could, but I can't do this. And you know, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Sheila, run in your own lane. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> run in your own lane. And it became clear to me as the Lord kind of unpacked that inside me, that when you compare yourself to the woman who's running beside you or the man who's running beside you, you're going to get all messed up because God has uniquely equipped and called you to do what only you can do. I can't tell you how freeing that was for me. It meant that every time that I heard Lucy or heard Patsy, I was able to sit there and love it and pray for them. And even, you know, as a writer, when I see that Christine Kane or Priscilla Shire or Lisa Bevere or Lisa Harper, any of my friends got a new book, I'm like online, like, get this book. You'll love this book. When you get who you are, 
you get to celebrate everybody else because you don't have to compare yourself. You can say, look at them go. And if we're all in this together to serve the Lord, it's a win-win situation. You know, I was looking through, I actually Googled when I was trying to unpack what the Lord meant by running your own lane. I Googled run in your own lane. <laughs> and you know what came up? It was so interesting. It was an old piece of black and white footage from 1954. And at that point, there were only two men in the world who could run a mile in under four minutes. One was a British guy called Roger Bannister, and another was an Australian guy. Just two of these guys could run the Miracle Mile. So, but they'd always done it in separate races. So they set up this race where they were going to have both guys in the same race. And they called it the Miracle Mile. And TV cameras, you can actually look at it. YouTube has it. TV cameras from all around the world were there because they just wanted to see who is going to win this race. The interesting thing is, for the first, oh, major part of the race, the Australian is ahead. But as he's coming to the end, in a moment, he turns to look over his shoulder to see where Roger Bannister is. And in that moment, Roger Bannister overtakes him and he wins the race. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't look to your right or your left. You are you and that's the good news. God has created you uniquely. And maybe you think, well, it doesn't look as spectacular. That's because you're looking at it with earthly eyes. You have no idea what heaven's seeing. There, I mean, there's so many people who, and maybe even some of you, maybe you're housebound. And you can't go out and witness. You can't do a lot of things you used to do. But you sit there every day and you pray. And you support ministries like, like Life Today. You know, we see all the big people on platforms. But the people who are faithful, where God has placed them, heaven values that. <laughs> I tease my sister all the time. My sister Frances is two years older than me, and she's got a lovely singing voice. And she, the kind of, like when she comes over to the States, and she'll come to some of the conferences we've done, and you know, there's maybe like 15,000 women in the arena, and she's like, she's like, I could not do this. But then I go home, and I'll go with her to the things she does. And she goes twice a month to this retirement home, and on a good day, there's maybe seven people. And the interesting thing, every time I've been there, six of them sit in the back row. But this one woman sits in the front. And every time Frances finishes a song and goes to start again, she goes, oh, no, she's going to sing again. <laughs> I'm like, Frances, how do you do this? And she said, you know, I'm just blossoming where God has called me. And I love that. It's easy to look at the people that we just think have big names or sell a lot of books or do any of that. Heaven does not look at that. Heaven looks at our hearts. Heaven looks at how we serve. Heaven looks at every single thing you do in his name, honors his name. Someone asked me um, the other day about a little tattoo I have on my wrist. And it simply says, yes, Lord. It's a picture. It's exactly the writing of the picture that hung on my mom's bedroom all my life, hung above her bed. 
And the more I thought about, you know, when I, I grew up, I was told that you don't do that. And, but the more I kind of understood the culture of that day, the more I thought, I don't think that really is a spiritual issue. But I've started to think about our scars, the scars that we pick up in life. Some of them are very visible and some of them are invisible. Unvisible is not a word. <laughs> Invisible is a word. But here's what I've, here's the place I've come to in my life. I believe that we can celebrate your scars as tattoos of triumph, of what God has done in your life. You know, in John's gospel, John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, we read this. You know, this is after the crucifixion and the resurrection and all the disciples are gathered together and they're afraid and they don't know what's going to happen. We read this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is a guy called Michael Card. I don't know if you know him, but he's a theologian and a musician, and it's just a beautiful combination. And he has a song that I love, and it's called, He Will Be Known by the Scars. I read a comment one day um, on my Facebook page from a young girl, and it made me smile. She's, this is what she said. I pray that one day I can be the fearless, godly woman you are. I wanted to get on a plane and go and sit down with her <laughs> and talk to her about the process of life. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll see someone at a particular place in their life and you'll just think, well, you've just always been like that. And you don't know the story of the faithfulness of God and what it took to come to that place of all the brokenness and meeting Christ in the midst of the brokenness. And what he did there, when Christian was a little boy, he was flying somewhere with his dad and in an airline magazine, they had one of those ads for a kit you could order to make, it was like a stone that you could put in your garden path. And the one that Christian saw in the magazine just said, I love you. And so he said to his dad, could I order that for mom for birthday? And so Barry ordered it. And when I arrived, I was banned from the guest bedroom. And Barry laid out towels and he emptied the box and Christian was devastated. He said, Dad, look at it. It's all broken. And Barry explained, oh, no, baby, you get to make your own. And so for, um, I don't know how many days, they sat there in the bedroom and they formed it in the shape of a heart and there was all sorts of different colors of stones. And Barry said to me, you don't have to use them all. And Christian said, I'm using every one and I'm using purple because it's my mom's favorite color. And then he wrote with his little finger, I love you, Mom. If you ever drop by my house and we go out into the backyard, there it is. I treasure that. And I treasure it for a couple of reasons. The first one, really obvious. I treasure it because my darling son made that for me. In fact, the morning he brought it in, he said, Mom, close your eyes and hold out your hands. He nearly collapsed my lungs. It was so heavy. But I love that. But the second reason that I love it is because it reminds me of this profound spiritual truth. It's a beautiful thing that God will do with a broken life when you give him all the pieces, all the pieces.
So often when we see something as broken, we just want to throw it away because we think it's worthless. But that's a glorious thing about our Father, that when we offer those to Him, He makes something truly spectacular out of them. In fact, one of the things that they do in Japan with a certain kind of pottery is when something is broken, they actually repair it with, with gold. So all the seams are actually gold and it's more valuable and more beautiful than the original thing was. And I know in my own life, that's what God does. Sometimes when we fall apart and things break, we think that our ministry and our, our worth to God is over. No. When you invite Christ into the broken places of your life, you will discover that not only does He receive you, but you understand who He is and His love for you at a depth that perhaps before you didn't. On one of um, my trips to Africa, we had the awesome opportunity of going to Angola. And I don't think anything quite prepares you for what you see in a country where there is so much brokenness, where there are broken hearts, where you see broken lives. And I began to see the tremendous need, but also the tremendous opportunity for you and I to be the gold in Jesus' name that would repair the broken places and the cracks where there seems to be no hope. There are no throwaways to Jesus. And maybe that's even a word for you. Maybe you feel you've, you've fallen too far and you've done too much. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he sees you and that he welcomes you not to tidy yourself up and come, but to come as you are. And out of that being received, when you thought it was all over, I think there comes this fresh fire and fresh passion to reach out in Jesus' name and be his hope, be his healing, be those golden strands of life in the life of someone else. I met a woman like that. I'd love to introduce you to her. Would you watch this? Even in the best of times, the journey of life is rarely easy. This has been especially true for Paulina, who, as a mother of five children, became a widow when her husband passed away in 2011. As a single mother living in poverty, she provided for her children the best she could. But sadly, it wasn't enough. My child was coming home from school and she started feeling of some fever. Then the next morning, my child died. The second one also came home from school with a fever. Then we went to the hospital. We were given two tablets, but nothing helped. So we started digging roots and boiling them for him to drink. He did not do anything. At last, he died. I lost another child the same way six months later. We've sat with these little ones for quite some time today, and they haven't moved. And even the food that she is able to provide, it's all starch, nothing that will help her children get strong, which is why, I mean, one of them literally came home from school one day sick, and by the next morning, they were gone, because these little ones have no reserves. 
This little mother has told us that if there was a stairway right now, that she could just walk up and go home to be with the Lord and take her little ones with her, she would go because she's already got three deposits in heaven. If you've ever asked yourself, Lord, I'd love to do something for you this year. What could I do? Here's what we could do. We could take care of widows. We could take care of their children. Mission feeding is so important because what we provide is protein, is vitamins, is everything that these little ones need to give them some resistance. And then we can honor the fact that we don't love God only in what we say. We love God in what we do and how we obey His Word. One of the amazing things about that particular story about Paulina, my friend Janice, who takes all our great photographs for us here at Life on the Road, she was back and went to that very village. And now, because of your love, because of your help, Mission Feeding is in that village. And the difference in the countenance of Paulina from that time when I sat down with her and when Janice was able to sit down with her was night and day joy, knowing that her children are getting a good meal every single day. You, you look at that stuff that I was feeding the children with, it looks kind of to us like oatmeal, but it's not. It's made in our factories in Africa, specifically for these children. It's full of everything that they need. And from that first bowl of food, it turns from death to life. It builds up these children so they have some resistance to any kind of disease. But the truth remains, there are so many more children who we are not able to help at the moment. Do you know this is our 30th anniversary of Mission Feeding? And so many of you have stood with us and said, yeah, we want to help. But I remember something that Betty said. She said, I never want the line of children to be longer than the food we have. So we want to be able to go into all the villages where we don't have a feeding program at the moment and change the life of these mothers and their beautiful children. And here's how we do it. We do it together. $30 feeds three children for three whole months. I mean, that's amazing. $50 feeds five children, 100 feeds 10. Some of you might be able to even give $1,000. And if you're able to do that, we have this stunning painting that we'd love to send you. And I know you don't do it for the gifts. It's our way of saying thank you. But if every one of us would do something, then we can be the answer to the prayers of mothers like Paulina to be able to go back to her village and see that program in place. It's our way of saying to you, look, it works. She was desperate. She'd buried three children and now she's able to feed those two children she had. So there's so many more. We need you to help. So would you call that number on your screen? And it doesn't matter, whatever you have, give the best gift you have and we will be able to bring you more stories of hope for mothers who thought there was no hope. Please, would you call now? In impoverished and drought-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great, and without food, they face severe malnutrition, even death. Through Life's Mission Feeding Outreach, you can save lives by feeding and caring for children currently suffering in parts of Angola, Mozambique, and South Sudan. With previous reserves gone and Mission Feeding helping in areas with severe crop failure, we urgently need your support to replenish food supplies to reach the 400,000 children who are counting on us. Your life-saving gift of $30, 50 or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for three full months. 
With your gift of any amount, we'll send you Death Defying Faith, The Extraordinary Life of Miracle Man Peter Pretorius. This autobiography, completed just days before his unexpected death, chronicles the thrill-seeking adventures of missionary Peter Pretorius. You will love reading how God took this ordinary man and performed extraordinary miracles throughout all of Africa. With your gift of $100 or more, request a beautiful Faith and Hope pen set, two beautifully crafted pens featuring the key words of Hebrews 11.1, 1, a key verse for every believer, especially when facing adversity, trials, and challenges. Finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request a Bridge of Faith framed canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. You know, my heart is just broken sitting here in this cemetery surrounded by graves that are, each and every one of them, graves for children. Little lives that have been stolen by malnutrition, children who've starved to death because they didn't have enough food. It truly breaks my heart. But you know what breaks my heart even more is the fact that we could have avoided this. We could have changed this. We could have stopped these graves from being filled with these little lives. We could have saved these children if we'd just been able to act in time, if we'd just been able to get to their village, take mission feeding and give them a bowl of food a day. So please do whatever you can do today because $30 will feed three children, $50 will feed five. And if you can find it in your heart to give that special gift of $100, you can feed 10 children today. That's 10 children's lives that'll be saved. Please, give a gift of life today. Give the gift of mission feeding. Give life. Thank you so much. You know, I don't think we'll know until we're finally all home with the Lord, the difference that every single gift makes. And I got a note, sweet note from my young boy who said he's been saving up his allowance and sending it in. So thank you. Every single gift counts. We're getting close to the end of the year. We've made a commitment to 400,000 children that we will be there, that we will make sure that when they show up, we have food for them. So this is a great time to get your end of the year gift in and make a difference for for those children and their parents. And remember, for any gift at all, we're gonna send you Death Defying Faith, which is the wonderful book about the extraordinary life of Peter Pretorius, our partner in Africa for so long. And of course, I'd love to send you my own book, It's Okay Not To Be Okay, Eight Steps To Move Forward. But let's make a difference. It's coming close to the end of the year. I pray that God has blessed you. But out of that, let's be a blessing to those who need it so much. So thank you for helping us. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for your care. And it's our prayer here at Life that God will bless you and your family. So for Life Today, I'm Sheila Walsh saying thank you so much. See you next time.
Tomorrow, James and Betty's grandson, Chris Turner, shares his passion for introducing people to the real Jesus, growing in freedom and discovering purpose. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.